Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You are listening to the She-Hulk and D23 episode of X-Ray Vision this week. And just a warning, this episode contains lots of spoilers from She-Hulk episode five. And we're spinning a lot of theories on the MCU and uh, talking about stuff from D23. So be warned. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, a cricket podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. There's so much stuff happening this week, and so we're making things easier for our listeners by releasing two episodes. Uh, episode number one covered House of the Dragon, including our recap of episode four plus Ask the Maester. Episode two, which you're listening to, is Marvel with She-Hulk, episode five. Plus our analysis of all the announcements from D23 over the weekend and what they mean for the MCU. You want to jump around, of course, check the show notes for the timestamps. And joining me today in episode number two for this week is writer and comics encyclopedia, Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Hello. Oh, can't believe we're here again. We're here again. <laughs> so quickly. Uh, we're so here quickly. again. Uh, let's talk. Let's get into the news from D23. The D23 Expo has come and gone, and it is time to unpack the teasers, the trailers, the announcements, and more on what they might mean for the MCU. It is time to irresponsibly make predictions. Let's start with Secret Invasion, the trailer of which uh, was released on the internet. This Disney Plus show stars Martin Friedman, reprising his role as Everett K. Ross, CIA agent Everett K. Ross, starring Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury, Ben Mendelsohn as Talos, Don Cheadle as War Machine out of the armor. Now, apparently, some sort of of government uh, official in the Department of Defense of some sort. Kobe Smulders, back as Maria Hill. Olivia Coleman confirmed as Special Agent Sonia Fallsworth. Kingsley Benadire, confirmed as Gravik. Amelia Clark, as we don't know. A secret role. And folks... Let's talk about it because this, first of all, trailer is great. Um, real, uh, you know, real Captain America and the Winter Soldier vibes, yeah, real very Civil spy. War vibes. Even more like a British spy movie. Yeah. From like, it's, 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 see, Feige had promised that this was going to be way more intimate than the Secret Invasion event. And you can see it's going for this kind of suspenseful spy thriller vibe. So the question is, how much is this? Uh, going to take from the Secret Invasion event. So just to jump back, Rosie, would you like to tell the folks what Secret Invasion uh, was? So Secret Invasion is just like, it's kind of hard to talk about how unbelievably impactful it was. Yeah. So it's like, it's okay. It it was like June, 2008, January, 2009, classic event style. It was a sing. It was a series, but with a ton of 
kind of spin-offs. Incredible creative team on the main, which is Brian Michael Bendis, yeah. Leno Francis Yu, Mark Morales, Laura Martin. And essentially, the baseline is that you discover that many of the heroes that we assumed were our most famous heroes were actually shape-shifting scrolls who had been put in at every different level of heroism yes. and government. And it had the best tagline, which was, who do you trust? Yeah. And it was just, it was groundbreaking. It also is one of the best events for spinoffs. We talk a lot yeah, about Secret Wars and stuff, but there is an unbelievable Black Panther spinoff that came out of this called See Wakanda and Die, which was just so cool. And basically the notion is that you are going to find out which heroes are not heroes and are actually villains. And this just, there's so much fun stuff in this. So this is obviously not something that's going to happen in the show, but I think about this all the time, which is the only person who can tell who the scrolls are throughout Secret Invasion is 3D Man with his magical yeah. 3D glasses. <laughs> yeah. So he's seeing scrolls and he's like, yo, that's a fucking scroll. And they're like, no man, that's like Hawkeye. You know, so this was like, this is the kind of event that I feel like we don't get to see as many of them anymore, but we we occasionally do. But this reshaped the entire way people saw the Marvel Universe and the way that the Marvel Universe saw heroes, which is very relevant to this because another announcement we got was Thunderbolts. So we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. But yeah, Scrolls, they're here. They've been here for a long time. And in the comic book event, it was like nobody's safe. Yeah. Anyone could be a Scroll, And this was a way for them to, the Scroll Empire, to take over Earth. Now, in this, we know from what Feige said that it's going to be much smaller scale. But the one thing we can assume is that there is going to be at least one character, but maybe two, who are key to the MCU who are going to be revealed as scrolls. That has to happen. That has to happen. Now, before we get into <laughs> who's a scroll, I just want to say that like this era of, of Marvel Comics, even starting with like Avengers Disassembled, going into like Secret War, the first Secret War, Annihilation, House of M, Decimation, Civil War, Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, uh, and, and then into Secret Invasion, and then Dark Reign, which wasn't really an event, more like a wide a mm -hmm. line wide reboot. It was a really incredible era of Marvel Comics where all the events affected everything that happened after you talked about what an incredible like jumping off point secret invasion was because secret invasion it created this like air of paranoia in marvel comics where all of a sudden dark rain became possible because everybody was like hold on the superheroes got in a civil war with each other, fighting each other. And then we find out that many of them aren't even who they say they are. They were actually Skrulls. So how can we trust them? And then turned into this whole thing where Norman Osborn took power and the, and had a secret like Avengers team. that and, and so it really feels like as we go into Thunderbolts, that is what we're setting up right now. Whatever happens yeah. after Secret Wars is going to be, uh, we're going to see a world and an MCU that is less trustful of heroes going mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, and something that I think is like really interesting that this kind of ties into that I had never really considered before, right? So we've talked a lot about how do you build a world that doesn't trust people with powers. 
it's secret invasion. It's not, it yeah. doesn't even have to have the political machinations and all the other stuff that we've already seen them bring in really well with Miss Marvel and kind of that we've talked about that are so key to the X-Men. But secret invasion is your real jumping off point for that. Because not only are some of these heroes actually scrolls who've been posing there for years, but also the heroes they have taken over are just like hidden off somewhere and like couldn't even escape. Like that's the worst thing is like, not only are they not the heroes you thought, but the heroes you thought have been trapped. So what kind of heroes are they? There is a moment in this where we see, uh, you know, bodies in stasis in some kind of room. Olivia Coleman's character and another agent kind of like have found this area um, leading us to believe that, yes, over time and over the years, certainly not Talos's group of scrolls, but some other more imperialistic, more warlike sect mm-hmm. of scrolls, because the Skrull Empire is really big, spanning many, many planets. And it would make sense there'd be different factions within that. Um, this more warlike faction has over time been been steadily replacing probably influential people, and, and we would imagine some heroes with scrolls, the question is for how long? Now, there's a moment in this trailer where we see, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff in this trailer. Um, but uh, so Nick Fury says, like, you know, this is my war alone. I'm the last person standing between them. And and then you see, like, this, this um, closet open with this, like, silver case inside. And the case has, like is like on ice or refrigerator or something because they open it, it's like steaming. And so you're led to believe because of the voiceover and this image is like, okay, stands between them and what? Do you have any theories on what is in the case? I mean, there's so much stuff. Like in my mind, I have like wild comic book theories. I feel like the the safest, most MCU bet is some kind of stock tech Mm-hmm. Or some kind of cosmic, you know, I don't think they're going to bring the Infinity Gems back again. But I, I feel like it's something with a world ending or world shifting possibility. But I'm very interested to know what you think it may be. The Infinity Formula. Okay, yes, 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 so, yes. So so part of the way in the comics that they explain how Nick Fury could have could have served in World War II in a commando, uh in a commando cadre, like as the as the leader of the Howling Commandos, and then also be running around like in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands with various other superiors, is that he at at a certain point in time was injected with this formula, the infinity formula that just dramatically slows his aging. He still looks like a middle-aged man, but you know, he's like 99, 102, whatever. He's very, very old. I, so my theory is whatever is in that case is whatever the MCU version of the infinity formula is, is Nick Fury injected with something is, is, is that the case? Is he a lot older than we actually know about? Has he been running around for a while? Uh, we, I, I, I'm not saying that, but I think that it's that's my. I theory. think that it's whatever version very, of the. I of think the that's Infinity a very formula. safe bet because that could also be the duex machina that the MCU has been looking for when it comes to the the constant struggle of how to cast uh, Magneto and Charles. Right. You know, in the X-Men. So I think that the introduction of some kind of infinity formula, some elixir of life, that could be very likely. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what it is 
that the scrolls could possibly want from Earth other than to just invade it. Now, the right. other option that I do think is likely that could tie in, and this is this is pretty out there, but I think it it could work. We know that Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel at the Carol Danvers at the end of the episode, and we learned more about this at, at D23, yes. which we'll talk about in a bit. But we know that the the Negabands, whatever version that they have of those, are allowing them to switch places. We know that those yes. are of Cree origin, the Cree Scroll War. I wonder if there's a version of it where it's some kind of artifact like that that allows that switch, that allows them to control other people. Because it's very useful uh, as a scroll. So yeah, I'm I'm very interested because I feel like there's things that are so innate to secret invasion, like the super yeah. scroll, that you can't necessarily do without the Fantastic Four. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see how the MCU recontextualizes this as an introduction to do all those other cool scroll stories that we haven't really gotten to see. Here's my other potential theory. Super scrolls don't exist yet, but no. the scrolls find out about super soldier or some other type of serum Ooh. and they think oh, what would happen if we what if we created super scrolls our own super soldier scrolls that could then take over the universe maybe that's How do what's we in get the, a hold of, yeah maybe that's what's in the box maybe it's super soldier serum because nick knows about that you know that's and we know that super soldier serum is gonna be it's it's coming back into play which we'll also oh, talk big about. time my only thing with that is is that then too much like have we done is it too much super soldier serum mm. at this point after falcon and the winter soldier etc is it too much about the super yeah will they keep serum? that in the captain america world and this is yeah. something different yeah it's gonna be very interesting it's it's something that i think all of us as fans especially if you grew up and you were reading those comics when they came out have always wanted to see and i feel like this is a very dif different vision of it but you know Winter Soldier is one of the most highly regarded and beloved MCU movies. So I, I, it's cool to see them going back to this spy genre space. There's some other big questions here as well. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Amelia Clark. I have my she? theory. Who is she? Okay. Tell me, so, who, do, who do you think? So I think from the beginning, I assumed that she was going to be playing Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, AKA, yes! AKA the Skrull Empress. Queen I love it. Varanke, who 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 posed as Jessica Drew. Now, from watching this trailer, I would say if they're going to do it, they're going to have to reimagine it. She's Agent Jessica Drew of right. the Department of Damage Control exactly. or something. I don't think it's going to be exactly the same character. But as soon as they, one, you don't cast Amelia Clark for like a no one role, right? right, right and right. as soon as I saw her, I, I'm just thinking like, you get to have this dueling thing where she could be the real Jessica Drew, but she can also be Varanke. It's a dual yeah. role. Uh, that's my hope and my kind of my wish. And also they could maybe get around the Sony stuff because she's technically not her in the show. Right, yeah. Because she's a scroll. You know, so I think that is that's my that's my big guess. That's my my that's my curveball. I love that one. I think I'm hoping that it's that. I wonder, would they give her the Spider Woman powers at any point? That's what I want to know. And so this is another really interesting thing, right? I wonder, and this, I would, I know that they can pull this off if they do it this way, even though it's not necessarily the version that we envisioned. 
I wonder if we are more, you are the one, I believe, who first put this theory into my head about Maria Hill being the most likely scroll. I think that is very true. And I wonder if because of the complexity of how scrolls replicate powers, which in the comics is like a very long ongoing thing yeah. you have to explain, I do wonder whether we're going to see scrolls who have infiltrated the government and maybe non-powered people more like maybe like a, a warmish, you know, a roadie or yeah. something or a Sam even instead of your more classically like strangely powered superheroes. Well, let me put this to you. We suspect. And I think the D23 offerings heavily imply that Thunderbolts is going to come out of secret yes, invasion. Absolutely. And it's going to be, hashtag, we were right. It's going to be a kind of dark rain situation it's, where, it's there's a, be, where there's it's a mistrust of heroes it's, that, it's that light, lurk. Light right. dark rain. We can't trust our heroes anymore. We need the heroes that follow orders. And you look at that lineup and it's all soldiers, right? Yeah. So, you know, we want the ones that will do what they're told and will be the be the uh, heroes that fight for us. Now, understanding that it would probably be difficult IP-wise and maybe a little more complex to have like Norman Osborn actually be like the main guy mm -hmm. at, the, at the head of a kind of like dark reign regime in the MCU. I do wonder one, if uh, the Contessa Valentina uh, DeFontaine doesn't become like the Norman Osborn figure, the more political figure, the leader of the team, but also like a politician. And if she's not a scroll, could she be a scroll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could definitely be a scroll. In fact, I think, because of the massive stunt casting and kind of that big reveal of it being Julie Louis-Dreyfus, like, I feel that that, it's kind of like when you watch a murder mystery, like the first season yeah. of Only Murders in the Building, it was easy to guess who the murderer was because you were like, well, <laughs> yeah. this, they probably wouldn't have cast this person if they weren't the murderer. So I do feel like she has big scroll energy. Also, I think there's a lot of potential here. Something that MCU set up that was very unusual in Captain Marvel that was very mm. controversial was this notion as like a certain segment of scrolls being like essentially like space refugees yeah. who were not violent, who were not invaders, who were not this kind of maniacal force like they are in the comics. So I think we could definitely see some collaboration both between good and more morally gray scrolls. So I think it wouldn't surprise me if you had someone like the Contessa who is a scroll? it's revealed, but has been working with someone on Earth, someone human, some kind of... Mon I, I, would, I could not just even comprehend how cool it would be if they managed to build Norman Osborn into this. It kind of blows yeah, my mind. Really but cool. maybe down the line, maybe down yeah, the line. Yeah. But no, no, I think the fact that she was actually in the lineup of the Thunderbolts... Right. That was a... That's, that's, that's a, big, a huge deal. Big moment. It's a huge deal. And this is, like you said, like... That Thunderbolts reveal, it's, there's some things that we were right about. I had always said they were going to put Bucky on that team. There was a very popular Thunderbolts run where Bucky was on the team that people really loved. But it is very interesting because it is this notion of soldiers. It is also yeah. a notion of people that the MCU would want us to think are almost anti-heroes rather yes. than villains. Whereas the original Thunderbolts, 
um, arc, which is just like so outrageous. And I still sort of think about all the time that it actually happened, which was the Kurt Busiak, Mark Bagley, Vince Russell, that was a, Joe Rosas. That it's was like, a craze at the time. They, it was just an absolute craze. This new team because the Avengers are gone. And yeah. they bring the book and, and the, they introduce this team and you're like, whoa, these are like crazy 90 char- 90s kind of character designs. Like, could this really be a new superhero team? How often does this stick? And in the final pages, spoiler alert from this comic from 1997, but in the final pages, you learn that it's Zemo and it's yeah. the Masters of Evil. So to me, I wonder if, well, it's, it's ex-members of the Masters of Evil, none of whom of the original Thunderbolts lineup are in this yeah. team. So, uh, so this my really out there theory is that this lineup is the fake out, and that really the team is going to be other people in disguise as those heroes or <laughs> something along it. those lines because that would be very Thunderboltish, or that the person who is actually in charge is Zemo, because I think that's the most that, that's the most kind of shocking non inclusion here. I would, one, I would love that. And two, you know, other than, you know, Thanos's lackeys and, you know, Captain America Civil War, we haven't seen a lot of, we haven't seen team on team fights. No. You know, Masters of Evil versus the Avengers, that kind of thing. We haven't seen a lot of that. And it would be really cool. It would just be really cool to have a Thunderbolts team that becomes, that is the Masters of Evil or the MC version of the Masters of Evil, either overtly or covertly, that then has to go toe-to-toe with an Avengers team yeah. that is like, you know, either on the run because the government and society is turned against them or who are fighting to clear their names from exactly. whatever, you know, real. whatever whatever frame the government the, uh, yeah. and the Contessa or Zemo has put them in. Something that we've seen so many, we see it so much in comics that it's almost like, so in, in Batman, the story that you always get is like, somebody's releasing the virus. In right. Marvel comics and specifically like Spider-Man Avengers comics, somebody has framed the superhero. Yes, and it looks exactly. like the superhero's <laughs> done something wrong. And guess what? We've seen that in many superhero movies right. at this point. But I think you're very on point. I think some people will be getting framed. Something about this that really excites me as well is um, the MCU has long rightfully been critiqued about the way it militarized the heroes, which was very much to do with the the popularity of the Ultimates t- uh, comics yeah. and, and the way it was very easy to make a ground level superhero team. Also, the original X-Men movies did the same thing with the way the uniforms were envisioned. It's very exciting to me to imagine a world where you have the militarized government team as the antagonists and you have a grassroots ground level team of heroes who have to fight against them without the might of Stark tech or the might of the US government behind them. That is really cool and could be very, very exciting. I'm super, super excited about it. We should just quickly run down the Thunderbolts lineup. Uh, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, Ghost. I was so uh, happy to see that. Ant-Man and the Wasp, really cool inclusion. Red Guardian, David Harbour. Yelena, of course. Bucky Barnes, (laughs) wow. U.S. agent, there's going to be some friction there. Uh, And Taskmaster, Okay, okay. fantastic. Okay, so I have a theory here as well. This is another theory. What if, this seems most likely of all my wild theories, my tinfoil hat themes, but what if, so Ghost, that is very much an empathetic anti-hero. 
who Agreed. was a, a villain only of circumstance, right? Right. Yelena, that is someone who has been tortured and exploited and ended up in a space where they are on a path for redemption. I would say Bucky is the same. I would say Red Guardian, Taskmaster, US agent. There is a version where we see those three split off as this more militarized. They will do whatever. The masters of, right. The masters, masters of evil. Masters version. of evil. Or even just like they will do whatever that Valentina wants to the point where it's shocking the other three. And I feel like there's a, a world where we see a split in the team. Because to me, I know that the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier wanted us to feel like Wyatt. I mean, I love Wyatt Russell. So that's why I thought of yeah. him. But US agent, I should say, was like doing something good. But that motherfucker he was killed no, a he man he, he on the street him. with beheaded a fucking Captain America shield. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, he is not an anti-hero. He is a villain. He has always yeah, been a villain. villain. That is the point of the character in the comics, even though he has obviously gone to more of an anti-hero. So I think that, that him being next to Bucky, for example, that doesn't exactly make sense to me, or him being next to Ghost. So I could see this being the team as it begins, but there's definitely a space for a moral split. I agree with you. I I think that, you know, again, just irresponsibly um, making predictions. (laughs) I would imagine a circumstance where uh, the Contessa puts this team together and they go on a mission and she presents it as one way. Here's what the mission is and here's what we're doing and here's what we're fighting against. That is, in Nick Fury fashion, a lie, but in... Uh, Contessa Valentina DeFontaine fashion, like a, a, a orders of magnitude worse lie than the kind of lies mm-hmm, that Fury mm-hmm, tells. Mm-hmm. And what what happens is Yelena and Bucky uh, at, at figure out, oh, we're fighting or doing something that we shouldn't be doing that's not just illegal but morally wrong and we don't want to do this anymore. And that's the kind of thing that causes the split. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm super excited. I can't wait for Thunderbolts. Okay, let I'm really, me, really excited about the, the one what, thing yes, I'm going to ask going. you, just one, one, one last question because I'm just thinking about this. So we assumed that obviously Baron Zemo would be in this team. Obviously yes. Abomination would be in this team. Maybe Sharon Carter because she's power broker. This team has no original Thunderbolts like right. Songbird, which I think a lot of people thought this yes. would be where she would debut. And it doesn't have those other characters. What does that say to you in your theory mind? <sighs> It's. It, I think it says to me what you pointed out, which is at some point there is someone in disguise. There's going to be a reveal here that we're not seeing, mm-hmm. um, a deeper reveal. And so I wonder, oh gosh, I think that that's what it's going to, I think there's going to be some kind of reveal here. Uh, uh, and we're going to find out that maybe one or more of the original Thunderbolts are masquerading as some of our characters. But who? Do you, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And also something that I always try and remind myself because it was such a fleeting moment. We have seen Black Widow use technology that just changes her face to someone else's face. And we're going to be in a post-Scrolls world. So I think that, yeah, I think there's some kind of masquerading, some kind of shielding, some kind of big reveal that's going to make this a bit more like a classical Thunderbolt. Let me ask you this. So... There is a, at a certain point in time, and I forget which run of Thunderbolts this was, um, a, a, a hero slash villain named Coboltman joins the team, but actually it was Tony Stark undercover. <laughs> Fucking Tony. Are any, are any of, are, are any of these members working undercover 
for Nick, informing for Nick Fury I'm gonna tell or you for somebody 100% else. 100% who that is. It's Bucky Barnes. <laughs> this guy, this guy was just the sidekick of Captain America. Like it is, it is absolutely Bucky Barnes. Nick Fury probably sent him in there to keep an eye on the Thunderbolts. He said to him, you want to make up your debt. You want to, you know, cross these names out of your ledger. You need to be on this team and make sure. It's got to be him because everyone else, I'm like, you know what? They could get tricked. They could have vengeance. They could be offered something that they wanted. But after the journey that Bucky went on with Sam, I just don't see a world where he is there for, well, I don't I also don't see a world where he would ever willingly I don't see it either. Choose yeah, right. to be no. part of a government agency he again after what was done to him. Obviously, he's traumatized and has been through some really bad stuff. But this is, uh, Bucky Barnes prizes his free will and his agency yeah. uh, greatly because that was taken from him, right? You know, like that he was not able because of his programming mm-hmm. to really trust his intentions, his actions, and trust that like he wouldn't turn into this marauding supervillain. So I, I think if there is an undercover person who is informing for the heroes, I, I think you're right that it, it would be, be him. I would add that we were right about a couple things. One, yep. that the name Thunderbolts was <laughs> in honor of Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, that hasn't, the, hasn't been fully confirmed, but the lineup kind of teases that we're, that was our theory was absolutely right about that. And that, and we were right that Bucky will be a member of the we team were, because right. we said that they would, that they would, uh, there'd be this movement to be like, we want the soldiers who are also superheroes who are going to follow orders. Oh, and that's it. I, we let's. I want to talk briefly about like this idea that's kind of been out there that um, people have been writing about that the Thunderbolts is like the MCU's Suicide Squad, which is I get it. I kind of understand. Uh, I kind of understand that take, but also. That's a that's a take when you don't when you're not kind of like experienced with what those comic book properties are because they're yeah. completely different things. I think I think it's one of those things. Something that we talk about. It's like when you read the comics and you know what the teams are. It's like quite frustrating because they're very yeah. they're very different, brilliant ideas. The, the enforced government task force of heroes who will be killed of, of villains who will be killed if they don't do the worst jobs that nobody wants. That's the Suicide Squad, Thunderbolts. A team of villains pretending to be heroes to gain the trust of a nation during a power vacuum. That is a really cool, other, unique idea. But something that I think, like you said, you can get it. Something we talk about a lot, right, is um, the cyclical nature of of these publishers and the way that they constantly take from each other. They take inspiration. And we've seen it in the films, too. We're not going to talk about this very deeply, but I will mention because it's a great example. The, the final Black Adam trailer came out. Looks really cool. You know what they it's did? X-Men. They, they, t- they, they took made, the X-Men. <laughs> they made Dr. Fate, Charles Xavier. Yes. They gave yep. him the Blackbird. They yep. put him in the Xavier Mansion. The- I wouldn't be surprised if it was Casaloma in Toronto. And they made him the X-Men before the Marvel had done the X-Men. Marvel did the same thing with Thanos. Jim yeah. Stalin ripped off Thanos from Darkseid because he loved Jack Kirby. And then Marvel did Thanos before Darkseid in the movie. Yeah, so this Lobo, stuff, Lobo is Wolverine. Lobo, it just exactly. goes, it goes, it goes on, on and on and on and on and on and on forever, right? And this, in that way, I can understand why people would theorize that right. they will become the MCU's version of the Suicide Squad because if it is what we have been told so far, which is very little, if the Contessa is making a government team of heroes from inverted commas, villains, 
then that is very similar to the Suicide Squad. But to me, I feel like you're missing out if you don't just go and read those comics and see how different they are. Because the Suicide Squad... Yeah, it's very, very different. Even like the James Gunn, the most recent Suicide Squad movie is like so brilliant. And it gives you a great insight into the the way that it's this exploration of exploitation of prisoners and and the violence of being a hero and the things that the government would make heroes do if they could control them. And that aspect of it, I do think we will see in Thunderbolts. But they're very different, guys. They're very different. Yeah, I mean, at a very basic <laughs> level, Suicide Squad is our villains, prisoners, forced to work for the government, whereas the Thunderbolts are villains pretending to be heroes so that they can take over the government. Yeah, 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 uh, exactly. <laughs> That's a great way. That's very succinct. <laughs> um, Werewolf by Night. Let's talk about the Werewolf by Night Whoa. trailer. This uh, this premieres on Disney Plus October 7th, just in time for Halloween. Uh, and man, this looks absolutely fantastic. Directed by Michael Giacchino, written by Peter Cameron and Heather Quinn. Dude. Black and white horror vibes. Very Gail Universal Garcia Bernal. Monsters. Yes, as Jack Russell, the werewolf by night, which the day, <laughs> the character named Jack Russell never fails to make me the laugh. The best thing about it, I think it was Jerry Conway who came up with the name Jack Russell. And in Tomorrow's, which is this unbelievable fanzine, uh, back issue 71 he was asked about it and he did say it was unintentional jack russell was if it was intentional it was subconscious and he never thought about it as an intentional pun which i just find like so I fucking don't, funny i don't yeah how can you believe it you can't believe it he, but that's what jerry says jerry come on the show tell us about jack russell we need to know <laughs> okay jack russell one of the best werewolf names of all time this looks so weird. I mean, yeah. we are huge fans of Michael Giacchino here, unbelievable yeah. composer. So I'm very excited to see him bring his his talents to the to the visual language of the MCU. Also, we get the new banner here, which is the Marvel Studios special presentation, which is kind of this like 70s, almost like boogie nights looking thing, which I love because it's like well, it's like really campy. Also probable confirmation here i'm pretty sure that laura donnelly is playing elsa bloodstone right, another the, massive the, marvel horror character that we were all really sure that she would show up in this elsa bloodstone who descends from a family of monster hunters and she's uh she's uh always kind of like hunting these dark monsters throughout the history of her appearance in the mcu i do you think this takes place like Here's I I wonder if this doesn't take place in the fictional 1970s of the MCU. I'm very interested to see. So She-Hulk, we cannot confirm this. We will be oh we we will be able to confirm this tomorrow. But right now I cannot confirm this. This is just a, something that we have been thinking about a long time. It seems like tomorrow this week She-Hulk is going to confirm the notion that comic books exist in the MCU as a way of telling stories. I wouldn't be surprised if because of how stylistic this is. This is a fictionalized version of something that happened in the MCU. Oh, it wow. looks like a you or maybe it's some kind of Moon Knight situation where it's somebody's mm. version of it. I love this notion of this special presentation as if it's not a hundred percent canon, but it's so stylistically different to and it doesn't look you could show that to somebody and they and tell them it's not Marvel if you don't show them the oh, introduction. 100, oh, 100%. It's, yes. It's really abstract. 
It's very universal monsters. It's all shadows. It's cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like German expressionism. It's really strange. I did not think they were going to go this hard with it. Also, something that's very cool, these comics, brilliant comics, um, were black and white. Yeah. The Marvel horror comics were black and white. Tomb, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night. So this is also a very cool way of bringing that to life. And to have Elsa Bloodstone, I mean, that's just a huge addition to the character, even though she's like a relatively new character from like 2001. She is a massive part of the Marvel horror world. And was I right? I don't know if I ever specifically predicted this, but I have been manifesting it. This trailer (laughs) does feature Man-Thing, Marvel's giant-sized Man-Thing, the best name of any character ever. One of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, Again, part of that Swamp Thing, Man-Thing uh, those are who the ripped two, off who? Yeah, who like, off yeah. who? Those are the two comparisons. Uh, another famous one there: Doom Patrol and X Men. Just remember that one, guys, because it's going to become very relevant when the X Men come into the MCU. But yeah, Man Thing. This is Marvel horror is here. How does it play into the wider MCU? That's the is question. the big question. That's the big big question, and we. Uh, oh man, I, gosh, I, I am very excited to find out the She Hulk uh, mid season trailer has arrived um not that we needed it but we got it and uh folks she hill continues to be super fun yeah it's great uh, and daredevil's gonna be in it which we kind of knew but this is like more confirmation in case you were worried because he hadn't turned up after four episodes but matt murdoch is gonna be in daredevil good for matt murdoch he was also there talking about daredevil born again at d23 saying some very sweet things love very that exciting very exciting. Uh, next up, Captain America New World Order has uh, some of the cast confirmed. First of all, of course, Anthony Mackie returning as Sam Wilson, Captain America. Folks, the leader is back. We've been we waiting. Were right. we, we, <laughs> we've been waiting for the leader to return. We've been saying just I, He's got to come back at some point. We were wondering if it was going to be She-Hulk. Well, folks, it's going to be Captain America New World. He it could, might still be She-Hulk. It could still be She-Hulk. It could still be She-Hulk, but he's back. We were right. He is he's back. coming back with his big old head. Another that one looks big, like... big, long head. We are on the DC Marvel ripoff train today because this motherfucker looks like Sinestro from the Green yes, Lantern Corps. really does, of course. So, you know, but yeah, um, Samuel Stearns is the leader. Tim Blake Nelson's such a fantastic character actor, so I'm just really excited to see that. Uh, this will also uh, be the debut of Sabra, the Israeli superhero played by Shira Haas. Uh, Carl Lumbly uh, as Isaiah Bradley. The is first Captain America. Let's please absolute, keep that in the canon because they don't mention it in the MCU, but in the comics. Absolutely first huge. America. And Danny Ramirez as the Falcon, the new Falcon. That is a huge, that's that's a really big bit of news, I feel like. I agree. I, I agree because we didn't really get a lot of we didn't get a lot of of Joaquin in mm. the show, um, and we certainly didn't get a didn't get any kind of inkling of his abilities. So yeah. this will be very. This is going to be. This is huge. This is a big deal. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the Super Soldier Serum today already, and I think this is this casting announcement proves to me that Captain America: New World Order is going to continue the power broker esque storyline from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it's obviously going to be about super soldiers because you have Isaiah Bradley. Yeah. Who in the in the MCU 
was one of the first people who was tested on with the super soldier serum. But in the comics was was the first Captain America who was out on the field in the Yeah. I just one of the best comics ever read, ever written. They they recently actually republished it for the first time in like 10 years. So go yeah. and see it. Truth, red, white, and black. Yeah, just absolutely brilliant. And having Isaiah there, having the leader there, who we suspect might be the one who's trying to get She-Hulk's mm-hmm. blood, which in this case is connected to the Super Soldier Serum because in the Incredible Hulk movie from 2008, we learn that Bruce gets his powers much like the Ultimates comics. Thank you, producer Chris, for that one. <laughs> that that's where he gets his powers is trying to replicate the super soldier serum, but instead of using gamma ray, instead of using Vita radiation like the original method, he changes it for gamma radiation, Whoops. and the Hulk is yeah. created. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Bad plan. <laughs> so this is a super soldier serum based story. Now the interesting thing is, in the comics, Sabra is a mutant. In yeah. this, is she going to get her powers from the super soldier serum? Or is she going to be a mutant? It's interesting. You know, we've, okay, we've got, uh, obviously, Kamala Khan is a mutant, right? Okay, we have that. The question is, and, and, you know, we could argue about whether her powers are, are, you know, what portion of her powers come from mutation, what portion come from the bangle. Wanda does also have naturally occurring powers. Wanda also has naturally occurring powers. But who is going to be the first, like, like they are a mutant. Their powers are derived purely from mutation. We know that's what it is. Everybody knows what it's that. And there's no secondary factor like uh, the ability, like magical powers, which, again, Wanda, is part of her mutation is her ability, her affinity for magic. But it is something else is a kind of inherent power that is, that resides in their own DNA and isn't something that is like amplified by an outside power source. And I, I do wonder, will it be Sabra? Will she be a mutant? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. Um, other news, Kei Kwan as a TV agent in, in Loki season two. I feel like I love this because they were like, he is a TVA agent. I'm sorry. After, after everything, everywhere, all at once, and prior to his inevitable Oscar win that is coming, yeah. <laughs> he is not just playing a TVA agent. That is going to no, be a ma- major character. Whatever. That is something else. And, and also, the TVA is obviously going to become a big part of this, not just because we got Kang stuff down the line, but even in Werewolf by Night, there were TVA agents with their time batons. So this is a very big part coming in. I was so happy to see this. I love Kihai Kwan. I love... Everything I wrote all at once. I love Indiana Jones. I love the Goonies. Icon, happy he's there. Uh, is there any? Is there any world in which he plays? He's like a he's like a hero undercover that eventually is revealed as a hero that, that we know. Is if there is any justice in the world and they know what they have by being able to cast him, I think that's what it has to be. He doesn't. You don't just cast him as a as a TVA agent. You cast him as someone who's there with a motivation that becomes an ally to Loki, who at some mm. point you reveal has powers or some kind of longer running space within the MCU. Um, up next, uh, Matt Shackman confirmed to direct the Fantastic Four movie. No casting announcement, no trailer, no nothing. Just that Matt Shackman will be the director. Congrats to, to that, Matt. 
Yeah, congrats to him, according to Justin Kroll on Twitter. Quote, Feige, for the most part, does not want to make big casting decisions without getting input from his director, which I think seems wise. Of course, there were a ton of rumors flying before D23, but we'll wait to see what emerges from there. But uh, just terribly exciting that we are uh, on the road to a Fantastic Four movie. Of course, we saw the logo uh, some months ago, but this is super exciting. New Wakanda Forever Black Panther footage. Uh, and we get an idea of what the plot is about. Here from Collider uh, is a description, quote, in the exclusive clip shown to the audience, we see Queen Ramonda arrive at the United Nations with a group of men. They sit. The men push their microphones down, spotlighting the Queen's presence in the room. A representative from the U.S. starts to complain about the fact that Wakanda has not shared their vibranium with the world. Uh, and... Uh, a French representative similarly speaks up saying that vibranium has the potential to be a weapon of mass destruction because the material can't be detected by metal detectors. It has to be shared for the sake of global security. Uh, but despite these dramatic declarations, Ramona makes it very clear why Wakandans do not trade vibranium and never have, and never will. It is their policy to never trade vibranium under any circumstances, not because of the danger of vibranium, but because of the dangerous potential of outsiders using this material. And so here again... One thing that's extremely clear, you know, it's been kind of, I think one of the kind of criticisms or at least, you know, complaints that people have had is like, what is the, what is the MCU about now? What, what, what phase are you in? What is the, what is the general direction? The general direction is, as we're seeing with Armor Wars, as we're seeing with Wakanda forever, as we're seeing with uh, Secret Wars into Thunderbolts is uh, all of this stuff is out there. The, the armor, Tony Stark's armor is out in the world. Uh, uh, vibranium is leaking out and, and governments are concerned about it. Uh, people that are uncontrollable have superpowers now. And now is like the reaction from the rest of the world towards the revelations that have happened in the previous phases. I think this is really a super smart take yeah. on a, a Black Panther sequel. I think it's really, really clever. I'm very interested to see the way they go with this because the whole point of Wakanda originally was like, what if this space existed that had never been colonized, that had never been destroyed, that had never had its resources drained and stolen, you know? So to then put them in this position where exactly that is has potential to happen. And it will also, we know that, in this world, T'Challa is dead. We know that yep. that will be happening in Black Panther 2, that he will die. People see it as a power vacuum, and that is going to encourage yes. Wakanda to make the tough decision of who the next Black Panther will be. I wonder what triggers Namor's attack on Wakanda. Is it like, is he a hired gun? Is somebody like, did like, did they contact him and be like, go in there, steal the vibranium? Like, so I think, I think what it's going to be is like, if, if people know about this one secret place that has vibranium, that has these resources, then are they putting other secret places at risk? Like, we could definitely also have had a situation where Namor and T'Challa knew each other and had mm. made a vow to never reveal the secrets of, of where they come from, you know? So I'll, I'll be very interested to see. Also, this is, this is old, from an old 
leaked description that was to do with the casting. But there was also notions of um, somebody who was looking for not only vibranium, but they were going around searching out almost secret locations, including Antarctica, which is one of the other places you can find vibranium, which is where the savage lands are. So I wonder if it's going to be this notion of the world has realized, sort of like what happens in the uh, in the Zero's X-Men movies, but in terms of people, the world has realized there is a segment of society that they have never seen. Yeah. And if that is the case, then they are going to want the things that they can get from that society. So yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see this. I'm also really interested to see like how Riri ties in like Ironheart because that's a character we love so much and it's clear that she is going to be a major part of Black Panther, which is coming out before Ironheart. So it'll be interesting to see her retroactively then get her own show spinning out of Black Panther rather than meeting her first in the TV show. There was a sizzle reel from Ironheart featuring uh, a, a logo reveal. Dominique Thorne will be Riri Williams. And we get the antagonist, the reveal of the antagonist, Anthony Ramos as the hood. This is so cool. uh, Which has been confirmed by uh, Kevin Feigley and Ryan Coogler. So the hood, Parker Robbins, is he's just like a small time criminal who like mugs a demon (laughs) and and uh, uh, takes the demon's hood and the, the hood is magic. And next thing you know, through this and through the ability to wield magical powers now, he becomes like a crime lord, like a big time magical mashup mafia figure who becomes, who was for a time during the dark rain days, like a real mover and shaker at like the highest levels of villaindom, like in the, in the Marvel comics. Yeah. And something that came out of this as well was this notion of um, science versus magic. Which you kind of touch on there. So I think if you look at the way that these things are going, we have Doctor Strange, who's now a three-eyed cosmic magic man in space with Clea. And then we have the Wakandans dealing with having the most high-tech science and technology in the living, known universe, probably. I think that that clash that they're seeding in Ironheart of this notion of science versus magic is going to become a major thing going forward another thing we we don't have a lot of info about it because they didn't show they didn't tell us about it uh much but they they showed a marvel's trailer and i just want to touch on it because there was something that was really interesting in the trailer which is apparently it's not just kamala and carol who are switching places it's also monica and it's the three of them throughout the movie that are allegedly going to be switching places to do with the bands and their powers so I think that that is very interesting and that is apparently going to be the major conflict. So I'm I'm very excited to to see that trailer whenever they decide to release it. Now, when I think of the hood, I immediately think about his relationship with Madame Mask. Yep. And I wonder who is uh you know a masked uh supervillain uh, kind of like a, a super soldier type supervillain, the daughter of Count Nefaria. And I, I, and I wonder if they would bring that into it. That would be pretty uh, well, cool. Also as well, if you think about it, um, in the Hawkeye comics, yes. they have the reveal that Madame Mask is connected to Kate Bishop and we might have already met a version of her. So Seeing as this is another TV show, I'll be very interested to see if they kind of tie that together, especially because 
Riri, if they are going to do a Young Avengers, will likely be the Iron Man analog like Iron Lad was in the original Young Avengers lineup. So I'd be very interested to see how that connects. The Hood, another character, looks very similar to DC's Hood, otherwise known as the man who would become the Joker in the old uh, Killing Joke. Well, we're really getting the duality today. I know. Last uh, last couple of MCU things, Charlie Cox uh, says of Daredevil Born Again that um, this is, whether it's a reboot or not, or what they're calling it, it's a season one, not a season four. So I, what I took that to mean is they're going to pick and choose the things that they like from the Daredevil Netflix series and those are going to be part of his backstory and then other things that they don't like. They're not yeah. necessarily like the defender. Like, did he ever join the defenders? Probably not. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I like, would also did say he fight the kingpin? Yes. This is another thing where we were kind of, I would say we were right because this was, we basically thought they were going to do what they did with D'Onofrio where they reimagine right. him for the MCU. They make him more super heroic. They make his powers different. I'm be very interested to see how they visualize Daredevil's powers when he re-enters the MCU in a more significant way. And then uh, and then Armor Wars was just, it was already confirmed, but now they're reconfirming Woo! it. Because everyone was again, worried after the timeline. Uh, and this, uh, this feels of a piece with Secret Invasion, with Thunderbolts, like all, like obviously we see Don Cheadle in uh, Secret Invasion. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how that stuff all ties together. And it really feels like at least for some of these things, uh, you know, Secret Invasion, Thunderbolts, Armor Wars, Wakanda Forever, um, you know, the thing that people were kind of saying about Phase 4, it feels like fragmented. What's it about? Where are we going? It feels like there's some real thematic cohesiveness to mm-hmm. to the stuff that has been announced and the directions they're taking. Yeah. Um, Star Wars news. Mando Season 3 trailer. Folks, I love me some Mando the good stuff everybody loves the baby where's the baby let me see the baby get the baby back uh how's the baby's training going uh i don't care as long as the baby is involved give me the baby (laughs) um notably we're gonna see a lot more mandalorians this time around uh we're gonna see a, a, a bigger cadre of of mandalorians as mando learns more about uh the culture that he comes from uh and the baby is there. The baby is there, folks. They're gonna reunite. There's gonna be. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be. It's gonna be good. Important baby. Grief Carga stuff. Grief Carga having a massive come up. He's wearing like beautiful robes I now. Love Carl Weathers in that role. <laughs> that is like Mando. He's just like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. You know, we'll see it next year, early next year. It'll probably come along much sooner than we thought. And then the uh, final Andor trailer uh, has been revealed. Um, the uh, There are screeners out now, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm excited to watch. Yes, can't wait. Uh, starring Diego Luna, of course, as Cassian Andor. Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. God, I love Mon- What a hero, Mon Mothma. Wow. What, what an again, absolute- another come up. Another of a character up. that could have been lost to the footnotes of history, but instead an became a major player. Legend. And a hero, and and Forrest Whitaker reprising his oh. role as Saw Gerrera. Guys, yeah. nice! deception. Uh, here's the thing about Saw Gerrera. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. I think he 
I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Thank did you. He go to, did he go too far at times? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he was fighting sure. space Nazis, though. He, he was fighting space Nazis. And I will say that, you know, uh, uh, extremism in defense of space democracy is no vice. And Forrest, I love his performance at Saw Gerrera, was like out there by himself. Before anybody was like, oh, the Empire, we need to do something. Saw Guerrero was saying, we need to do something with the Empire. We need to get together. We need to fight them. We need to stop them because they're not going to quit. They're going to keep expanding. They're going to keep putting their boot on people's necks. Mm -hmm. There's no place in this galaxy that you can run from them. We need to fight. And I'm delighted that Saw Guerrero is back in my life. So we're going to see some original clone troopers. Um, I'm excited to start watching this. Very excited. Uh, Tales of the Jedi trailer dropped. Folks, good. Yeah. I I, I don't know what it's know. he's making an animated show. It's yes. gonna be about all the characters that you like. Dooku, Ahsoka. Great. It's gonna be Great. six original shorts, allegedly, is what they're calling it. I don't know what that means, but I know we're gonna watch it because we love Rebels, we love Clone Wars, we love the Star Wars animated series. That is what Dave kept Filoni the band knows alive. what he's doing. Dave yeah, Filoni Dave knows Fil- things. That's why he's now basically in charge. Yeah, so yes, the, my, we will be watching. Yeah, my my reaction to this was good. Yeah, uh, and then uh, oh, things oh. of huge note. We must say this. This was such a big. I can't believe they like slid this one in at the last minute. They I'm like, this is like the casting everyone has been talking about for like 500 years. So anybody that listens to this and has listened to us on various other podcasts know that we love Rebels. Uh, you know, I think it's. I think you could argue that it's the best Star Wars actually that there is, mm-hmm. is, is Rebels. Definitely and the best final episodes of any TV show. It's up They there. just nail it. They, they, they absolutely they nail it. The landing. They nail it. They nail it. And, uh, you know, one of the main characters is uh, young Jedi Padawan Ezra Bridger, who at the end of uh, the run of Rebels, we, we are unsure what happens to him or where he is. Uh, and, uh, the Ahsoka series, of course, is coming, and we it, it was announced that Iman Asfandi will join the Ahsoka series as Ezra Bridger. This is huge Ooh. news. This, this is, is what the fans have been waiting for. This is we we people have been clamoring for us the Ahsoka series being where is Ezra? Literally, find maybe, Ezra. Maybe the most fan casted role, absolutely, definitely in Star Wars, but maybe in general, like the fact that Ezra fans are here. They're loud. They love him and they are right to do so. And yes, this is very exciting. I felt like I I was laughing because I felt like this should this was like up there with any of the other casting, but it was kind this of is slid huge. in. So yeah, this is this is really big. And I'm very and I mean, it is like picture perfect casting. Oh, when it's you great. see the two of them together, you just wow. It's absolutely great and fucking I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited that they're going to do this. It's really crazy that they're going to do this. It didn't it didn't feel you got to remember, right? Especially with Rebels. And I know we could do a whole mini series just on Rebels. Yes. But like when Rebels came out, like people did not like the animation style. It took nope. people a long time to get into it. They felt like it was basic compared to Clone Wars. They also didn't like that it was new characters. It is so influential and so brilliant and rewatches so well and is such a fantastic piece of sci-fi storytelling and Star Wars storytelling and animation and cartoon. It's it's so good. 
And it feels absolutely bonkers to be in a world where there are Rebels characters being adapted it to really live action. So cr- it's so crazy. I mean, it, it it is truly nuts that it is happening. Not to mention, that was like some of the best Darth Vader stuff, you know, post-Anakin, uh, Darth Vader, his reunion with Ahsoka. Oh and, my God. And is like, uh, is, is spine chilling stuff. And particularly, you know, first season is good. And then they absolutely nail the ending of the first season. And then if you haven't watched it, at least get to the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And then I guarantee you, if you like you Star hooked. Wars, yeah, seasons two, three, four are just going to be like going into hyperspace speed. That's what you're going to feel like. Cause it's just great stuff. Emotional storytelling, a group of characters that you care about real, like heartbreaking stakes, fun droids, incredible adventures, uh, and just really, really great Star Wars. Great droids. Actually, that's like droids, all time droids, droids. copper and all time droid. And so very, very excited that, uh, that we're continuing the story in the Ahsoka series, bad batch season two coming out January 4th, 2023. Great. Uh, and some young Jedi adventures casting announcements, Jamal Avery Jr., Emma Berman as Kai Brightstar and Nash Durango. Lots yeah. of great Star Wars stuff. Man, a lot of content. Woo, just, news. Lots of news. Up next, She-Hulk episode five. You've been asking for it. You've been wondering where it is. You've been saying, I have nothing to carry my groceries in. Well, folks, get excited because X-Ray Vision is launching its first ever merch collection and it's available now at the Crooked Store. House of the Dragon is here. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power is here. That means fantasy is back. Has it ever gone anywhere? No. Fantasy is still here, but now it has revealed itself to you, and this merch drop is all about celebrating the return of some of our favorite fantasy series. Grab a toter tee featuring an illustration by artist and comic book colorist Felipe Sobrero. At Crooked, we're super fans of voting. So as always, a portion of the proceeds from every order in the Crooked store will go to Vote Riders, the leading organization focused on voter ID. Head to crooked.com slash store to check it out. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. 
made to travel. We're stepping out of the airlock and into the courtroom for She-Hulk episode five titled Mean Green and Straight Ported to These Jeans, uh, written by former Hysteria co-host Dana Schwartz and directed by Anuvalia, Dana Schwartz, who's a wedding I recently attended. Congratulations once again to Dana and Ian. Let's start with our recap. Jennifer Walters has a problem, and it's a, a, a sizable one. It's a big one with a big social media following and really, really good branding. It is Titania, the super influencer who Jen folded up in episode one, she has trademarked the She-Hulk name and is releasing a uh, line of uh, branded products, lip plumpers, beauty oils, some kind of shake for butts. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and suing Jen to stop her from using her own name. It's time to get litigious, folks. Meanwhile, Nikki and Pug hash out a deal. Nikki will stand in line with Pug so he can get two pairs of Iron Man 3s, which is a nice payoff from the uh, joke set up when Jen was surfing the internet and mm-hmm. it was one of those one of those little uh, uh, blurb stories that it was like a just a picture of the Iron Man 3s above man with metal claws fights in bar. Uh, <laughs> so nice little payoff there. And Pug in return will take Nikki to his costume connect, his drip broker, to, in order to upgrade Jen's drip, which is currently very, very dry in the midst of a historic drought, desert-like, very arid not dripping. Now, getting to the drip broker involves buying knockoff Avengers merch in the back room of a Boba Cafe and then pulling rank falsely claiming that Jen is an Avenger, but you do what you got to do, and eventually they do get to the secret headquarters of this costume fashion designer. Back at GLK and H. Mr. Holloway is annoyed because Jen lost control of her name and uh, considering that he hired her to be the super green face of the firm superhero law division, that is bad. He assigns the trademark case to Jen's colleague, Mallory Book. Mal immediately goes on the offensive, saying we need to countersue, we need to be aggressive, but also you need to not look like Joseph A. Bank in the in the courtroom, and you need to get a better wardrobe. Nikki is on it. She gets Jen a meeting with Luke, top-tier costume designer who makes ready-to-wear combat suits for a variety of secretive clients. Case goes to court. And there are some early setbacks, but Mallory then calls Jen's matcher dates to the stand where they testify that Jen's been using the name She-Hulk on a regular basis, uh, proving that there is a chain of ownership of the name She-Hulk by Jen Walters. Case closed, Jen wins. Back at Luke's, Jen collects her form-fitting and fashion-forward superhero wear that we actually don't get to see her wear yet. I guess that's a reveal for the next episode. And we get a glimpse of Luke's work for another client, it is a yellow daredevil helmet. <gasps> Let's talk about Oh my god. Oh Let's my talk god. about it. First of all, really cool that apparently the so in the comics, the yellow suit is first. Like Daredevil mm-hmm. wore the yellow suit originally and then went to the and went to the red suit, which then became the iconic suit and you wore most of the time. Kind of like, uh, you know, sort of like Wolverine who had the the uh, yellow and blue with the little kind of like pointy uh, details on the shoulder suit first and then went to the brown and tan suit, which then kind of became iconic for most people. I, I love that it was 
Luke that was like, we need to up. Apparently, it was okay, like, okay, let's okay. upgrade your fashion and, and get you, you the no, yellow no, no. suit. I need to ask you about this, though. So, yes, you know, we talked with the D23 thing about what, you know, good old Matt Murdock himself, Charlie Cox, mm-hmm. said. He said this is a season one, not a season four. So do you think oh, that this is actually his first costume in the MCU? I don't think so. I think you're on the right track. But you make such a good point about the yellow suit and its origins. So maybe he did have the other suit. And this is that Luke I, gave him that good reference. And this is kind of the... Also, you know, something that you brought up when we were prepping for this. This means Daredevil has changed tailors. Yes, because he right. had Melvin Potter before yeah. in in the in the ex supervillain Melvin Potter. I I here's my take. I think that I agree. You're right, absolutely right. And but one thing we did say in that conversation about season it's a season one, not a season four, is that we think that they're gonna just that means they're gonna pick He's and choose definitely things. Already Daredevil. He's already Daredevil. One and two. He's already Daredevil because how would he even get the appointment? Luke is yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Luke is Luke doesn't just work with anybody, and yeah. he wasn't going to work with Jen until they were like, "Oh, she's an Avenger." So yeah. clearly, Matt has made a reputation for himself as an active superhero already for him to even get the appointment. So. We think he's working as Daredevil, which means oh, yeah, yeah. And he he's got the... the suit that he's already been using. And like, you know, Super Producer Saul just pointed out, he catches the brick in No Way Home. So he's using those powers. He's living the life. Right. He's, he's right. doing it. But yeah, I love that they, because they're kind of rebooting, it makes a lot of sense to have the yellow costume. And Luke is obviously a steezy guy. This is also a very fun, deep cut. This is pure She-Hulk, like. There's probably no other show where they would introduce the Wrecking Crew, right? Like, that was so yeah, yeah. fun. And and so this is very similar because Luke Jacobson is like a fashion mogul, but he's been in literally like three comics. And <laughs> right. he was in this really, this is like, this is the stuff I've actually been waiting for Marvel and the MCU to get into, which is the comics that Marvel made that were not necessarily straight superhero comics. So right. he's from Dakota North, which is like, this super weird 80s kind of like spy-ish comic, like Private Eye, very Black Widow looking, but it's not Black Widow. And Luke Jacobson is just like this funny fashion mogul. But what is really cool is he was created by Tony Sammons, but also by Martha Thomas's, who is like one of the premier female comic book journalists. So it was very cool to see her get a shout out in the creator thanks. And this is very fun because it does what the MCU does best, which is, this is taking a character whose name is important in the comics, but who doesn't necessarily yeah. have a built-out world. And now Luke Jacobson, I would say, if it had just been She-Hulk, who, by the way, he he teases, she she asked for a suit, like a fancy lawsuit. And he said yeah. he made her something extra. So we can assume that's probably the purple and white I, classic that's She-Hulk what, that, suit, right? That's what I thought, right? Because it was a little bit shorter, too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, sure, She-Hulk, that's a big hero. Ironically, like much more A-list probably than a lot of the heroes that began the MCU in phase one at the time. But I think with the Daredevil costume, we can assume that Luke is going to be like the force of who is making the the suits for the heroes from here on out. Now Stark isn't around and we're getting more grassroots heroes. I, I agree with you. 
And I also think just to go back to what, what do we think Daredevil has been daredeviling this whole time? Uh, why would he get a suit on the West Coast? That's exactly. So like, That's so, not, I, okay, so he's got to have been, he must have been doing it previously. Okay, so if that's the question, why would he get a suit on the West Coast? Then this ties into one of our theories from earlier, which was about how in the Charles Sewell run, when Jennifer needs help with this mysterious case, she goes to see Matt, who is currently in San Francisco. So I wonder if that, if we're going to see Matt on the West Coast, obviously, if he's in She-Hulk, it's unlikely she's going to fly to New York for it. And it's nice to see the West Coast being represented in the MCU, aside from Tony's hilarious Malibu, like Thunderbirds mansion. So I wonder where we're going to see. Oh, yeah. And of course, Ant-Man, which, by the way, could connect to this Daredevil theory. So, yeah, I'm very interested to see where we're going to see Daredevil pop up. Is it just going to be something where they meet each other in in Luke's offices? Is it going to be like a real play-by-play? Let me ask you this. Do they, so in the comics, uh, the Charles Sewell run, wonderful Charles Sewell run, there's a the, the kind of main plot is about a case that Jen argues against Matt that we won't spoil because it's really good. And if you ever want to read it, definitely read it. But they end up on opposite, after hanging, after having a, a wonderful day out, hanging out, they end up on opposite sides of the courtroom from each other. Do they argue cases against each other? Do they argue a case oh, against each other? Oh, that would be so good. That would be I awesome. Because we see it happen. That would be really rad. And I, it makes me wonder, like, what the case could possibly be. But I think that would be really cool. Also, I do think, look, I know, I know that Tatiana in this is playing this, like, she's like this lawyer. She's obsessed with her work. Like, Jen is, is very... The, the dichotomy between and juxtaposition between Jen and She-Hulk is obvious and there for a reason. But I, I know that Charlie Cox, everyone loves sexy, sad daredevil who's been beaten yeah. up. But I do. But, and, and, and he is very handsome in that role. I love yeah. it, too. It's great. But I also could easily see a world where when him and Jen, when we see them to get like reconnect, they have met before. They have possibly dated before, which is very right. in the comics, but both in their non-hero forms. And then that, that would be make a sense. really interesting conflict to go into that lawsuit together. Honestly, both uh, very similar in the sense that they are work hard, play very hard kind of characters, except you're right. <laughs> Matt has that like Catholic sadness all the time. <laughs> <laughs> whereas, goes, everywhere goes. he goes, it's just sad. Whereas Jen is definitely the uh, the more gregarious and outgoing and like and uh, um, big personality. Okay. So at the end of this episode, Jen wins her case and we see that Arthur um, was there for it, giving a kind of moral and emotional support. Arthur, who she went on a date with in the previous uh, episode, uh, which I had I had a thought after the end of the previous episode. And I wanted I want to see where you're at with it. So uh, uh, Jen and Arthur have a wonderful date. They go uh, have dinner and then some drinks and then they go home and things go well and they are intimate. And then at the end, in the, the next morning, Jen comes down, she's in Jen form. And Arthur is, uh, I think he says he's surprised um, and is clearly like, whoa, you know, um, and then leaves. And it's a we- it's like a discordant note. He was clearly, uh, he was clearly a little confused at this. 
What is, as a superhero or a person who changes form, what is Jen's duty to inform a partner about her alter ego? I found myself wondering about this. Not that Jen necessarily was in the wrong, but it is definitely an emerging area of like mm-hmm. superhero morality because clearly her partner again was 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 confused by it and it had me thinking like should Jen have said hey by the way I am also I also look like this this is also what I look like I found this to be yeah I think this is one of the most interesting moral quandaries that the show has yeah. introduced intentionally or unintentionally because it is played where we are always seeing things from Jen's point of view. So the angle of seeing it there is, oh, like he likes this side of me, but not this other side of me. And that hurts. And in this, you know, in the lineup of terrible men she went on dates with, even there in the courtroom, he makes a point of saying She-Hulk is amazing. I really like She-Hulk. But he also says, Jen is not my type, you know? And I think that is very notable and also a succinct way of the of setting up the problem of this, which is Jen is your type because Jen is She-Hulk, but aesthetically right. Jen is not your type. And did Jen make it clear? Because she oh, she made that it the whole lawsuit to this week hinges on the fact that she made a matcher account as She-Hulk. She presented yep. herself as She-Hulk, not as Jen. What is the moral? the morality around that of then presenting this other side of yourself. I think it's, I think it's baby steps mistake on Jen's part. Agreed. But I, I, I don't do think, also yeah. don't think Arthur is particularly in the wrong. I don't think he's shocked because he literally I think he, asks who Jen is. So he obviously didn't know. I think it's reasonable to, to, I, I think his, his feelings are, are reasonable in that moment. I think that, the the main thing I think you're right. It's baby steps and a mistake by Jen. At the same time, like there's no like unlike the uh, the Asgardian elf who we met oh, earlier yeah. in the episode. There's no there was no will to deceive. Jen no. was not trying to deceive anyone. Now I think she, as a person who is just getting used to and processing the fact that she has this alter ego now that is part of her self. Um, there's also the fact that she is pro- is probably has not yet grappled with the fact that one she's a public person now, but as She Hulk, not as Jen. Jen, she's done numerous TV appearances, but as She Hulk talking about being She Hulk, whereas her uh, her Jennifer Walters persona is just like a workaday mm-hmm. anonymous person without a public profile, unlike. Tony Stark or Steve Rogers, some of these other heroes where people would reasonably know who they are. It's reasonable to assume that the people who went on a date with She-Hulk would not know or immediately connect She-Hulk to Jen or even know how to start. How do you Google if you because it's not been a long time since Jen has been She-Hulk. If you Googled she-Hulk, would Jen Walters come up? It's unclear that that's think, the case. I think because of the first episode where we saw where Jen's first public foray as She-Hulk was as Jennifer Walters in the courtroom, 
And then she transformed and fought Titania. I don't think it would take that long to Google it, but I do think the point of the men going on the dates was they want the fantasy of She-Hulk. So would they mm-hmm. Google it? Now I will say I did because I'm I am quite heavily on Arthur's side and I do think that this introduces a very interesting moral quandary that I would love to see explored more about like the notion of how you present yourself and such. But I will say there is a quote from the date where she does tell him right in the middle of the lobby in front of everyone, I had to transform. It was so embarrassing. So she establishes there that there is at least a transformation. The question is, did she do enough? I feel like there is honesty there, but like, I also don't necessarily think he's just some shallow jerk because he like prefers no, no, no. She-Hulk, who she went, I, who he did go on a date with. I think they clearly, from the very moment that Arthur appears on the screen, are presenting him as, oh, this is the good guy. He's interested in her. He's a do- he's a kid he's, doctor. He's a, do- he's, he's a child. He's, he's that you know, i.e., he's a generous, giving person. He he's like wants to know about her life. He's not just out here talking, talking, talking over her. Um, and he's a kind good-looking, nice guy. And I agree with you. Again, I don't think Jen was trying to trick anyone, but I do think the question is, did she do enough to to really let him know completely who she is? Because Uh yes, she mentions a transformation, but is that enough? Um, Because, you know, again, he was like, wait, who are you? Like, (laughs) are you this completely different person? uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, again, I just think it's a really, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. I think you're, it, you brought it up as a really good topic where you were like, this is an emerging problem that we Right, this is an emerging see. issue. And I think we will see more of it explored. We got the most extreme version, which is the light elf who is outwardly deceiving people and committing right. identity fraud against Meg the Stallion. But like, <laughs> this is, this is the... These are the slice of life, day-to-day issues that you have to navigate if you have an alter ego, especially if it is an alter ego that is based on transformation and changing the way you look. And we're going to see more of that as we get mutants, as we get scrolls. So I'm very interested to see that. And I was very interested to see Arthur be brought back at all. I didn't necessarily think that was something that was going to happen. So maybe there will be some kind of conversation or continuation of of that arc. That's how I felt is that there is going to be, they're going to have a conversation about this, right? Because why else have that moment where, you know, he, there's the look that's shared when the case is kind of over where he Mm -hmm. kind of like, they, they share this moment and it feels like there's more to be said, which I think is really interesting. I'm glad they're doing that. Apparently if they do indeed do that, because again, this is like, I don't necessarily think Arthur was wrong to feel weird about it. Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about it, too. Like, I love that we get to perceive everything through Jen's eyes. And this is like a Jen-centric show. But in that moment, I think there is a a bigger conversation to be had. And I think something that the MCU has done and has expanded on throughout its years and has gotten really good at is looking at the kind of collateral damage of being a hero. Right. Whether it's in your personal life, right. whether it's in the more gigantic space of superheroics and the damage that that causes on a financial or, or physical level. But I think this is a really interesting space where they can kind of expand that. So, yeah. And it yeah, was I, interesting to see 
to see Mallory use that as a space to side with Jen, which is something that we we haven't really seen because it's very they've very much been sort of pitted against each other as the women in the law firm. It's also an interesting way, um, you know, because it with Bruce split personalities are just are, are kind of integral to his experience of the Hulk, um, both in the comics and, and, and the movies and the MCU less so, but in, in the comics, like very dramatically, like the Hulk has different uh, personas and there are different factions of Hulks within this Hulk uh, uh, schism of, of Bruce's personality. And now Jen is having to grapple with, she is Jen, right? She's, she's the Jen personality is dominant the whole time when she is she Hulk, she is Jen at the same time, the way that the world will perceive her and the way this lawsuit is, is, is uh, making her uh, interact with this Mm -hmm. new personality is as, is she Hulk as a separate entity under Jen. Um, And it's just like a fascinating thing to process. Like, again, I don't think, Jen wasn't trying to trick anybody, but there's clearly a blind spot here. And the thing about a blind spot is you don't know it's there because you don't see it. Yeah, I'm also very interested in what this means because in the comics, for the most part, Jen just chooses to stay as She-Hulk and right. generally has. So I want to know if that journey, we're getting a lot of really fun visual gags here where like with like Tatiana in the giant suit when she's so tiny it's so funny like i was always a cast a big woman as she hulk kind of person but in this show the way that they represent it with the the tiny woman big suit is it's a very funny visual gag but i am very interested to know if jen will ever come to that place in the mcu like bruce did with the smart hulk professor hulk personality in her own way of feeling that she hulk is the best representation of her or the person that she wants to be for, for most of the time. I'll be very interested to see that. Yeah, I wonder if we ever get to a point in shows, in, in MCU, whether it's the uh, the shows or the movies, where Jen is in She-Hulk form for the majority, the vast majority mm-hmm. of whatever the thing is. It'll be very interesting to see that. Yeah, also, so you kind of touched on how this, you know, we're seeing this lawsuit in the kit in the courtroom and, and it kind of becomes this more focus on Jen and obviously her dating life but it is very much in the tradition of these lawsuits we've seen Jen fight whether it's against yeah. you know Daredevil or anyone else it's very fun to see them leaning into that like mundanity of the court cases that She-Hulk has yeah. to fight like yeah she is a superpowered lawyer but also cease and desist or trademark right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I thought that was really fun and I especially liked the Avengers or Avengers, the fake Avengers merch was oh, very I gotta cool and hilarious. Get, we got to get some of that merch. Yeah. Please I mean, somebody send us an Avengers hat. We you would know, there's Avengers a, hats. As Daredevil enters uh, the MCU, you know, there has always been a really interesting tension in the comics, you know, and even in the, in the Netflix series for sure, about Matt, who is a a lawyer that fights for the little guy and is incredibly passionate about using the legal system to defend people and defend people's rights, who at the same time 
breaks the law like every single night every as night, the vig- every night every night as the vigilante uh daredevil destroying property assaulting various people without uh, an understanding of necessarily that they've committed a crime you know in the comics one of daredevil's like big techniques is he will just go into some like kingpin connected bar and beat up everybody in sight to get information. He does this like on a regular basis. And it's interesting it, there. And there's always been that tension there. That's been part of why Daredevil is so interesting of he practices the law. He's very interested in the law, but he breaks the law every single night of the week. So I think, I wonder if how much of that is going to enter into uh, what we're seeing now, because Jen, to be fair to her, isn't Jen doesn't do that. Jen no. is not. Jen fights when it is necessary and when she has to defend herself, but she's not going into like a place and just busting it up to get She's not killing people on a regular basis because of her Catholic yeah. guilt, which Matt does. Yeah. Like, right. Matt's <laughs> chaining people to church roofs. He's yeah. beating people up. He's killing people. He's taking down gangs. He's ignoring the obvious wealth and health disparities in Hell's Kitchen that cause these problems. And he's just yeah. fucking people up. So, yeah, I think that's a really great point. Also, so a running joke that we've seen from the earliest episodes, I think it's episode two where we first hear it, which is this idea that Jen has been rejected from the Avengers. And now there's this ongoing joke that Jen is going to be an Avenger or she needs to be an Avenger to get things done. Kevin Feige recently said at D23 that the Avengers currently do not exist, right? There's no Avengers. This feels to me like they're setting up Jen being in a version of the Avengers, whether it's oh, for A sure. Force, you know, which was the first all-female fe- Avengers team, and Jen was the leader of the original version of it. I feel like the Avengers nods, they're leading somewhere. This show doesn't do anything unintentionally. Like, what do you think? I Oh, I mean, listen, uh, Kate is heading to LA, we imagine, at some point, right? Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of threads leading us to the creation of a West Coast team, whether they call that a West Coast Avengers team, I, I don't know, but a West Coast superhero team. Uh, we understand, you know, Simon Williams is going to appear on the yep. scene at some point um, uh, with with Trevor Slattery, as we would assume his <laughs> acting coach, you know, of some sort. I, oh, my God, uh, of course, of course. <laughs> and, and so I th- I think you're right. And I wonder if we're going to see that West Coast team come together. Scott Lang is, you know, Scott yeah. is also out here on the West Coast. So I wonder if we're going to see that West Coast team before we see a quote unquote Avengers team. I think, I think we're not going to see the Avengers until we get as they are the Avengers, you know, with the, the adjectiveless Avengers until probably those two Avengers movies. And I where think we know that they're going to be there. And I think you're right. We're going to see many different teams and it feels like a West Coast team is very likely. I think that when we do get that Avengers team, obviously years from now. Literal years. Literal years. But I, I think that as we move in that direction, it would make sense to me that uh, if Nick is still around, he will be instrumental in assembling that team alongside, um, alongside uh, 
you know, War Machine. I think War Machine will be the yeah. coming off of whatever happens in Armor Wars is going to be like the, not necessarily Tony, but the kind of government liaison, whereas Nick is going to be more of the outlaw. So I wonder, I wonder if this is so, I wonder, I think that Nick's one, Samuel L. Jackson loves playing Nick Fury. Let's be loves real. I think it. he's, he's playing it. Nick Fury until they stop letting him play Nick Fury. Yeah, until he so, can't walk anymore. It literally. So I think he's going to be around. I think his prominence in Secret Invasion means we're going to see him come back to the forefront. Now, I wonder if what we're going to see is Nick having to create a team to counteract the Thunderbolts because he has already established a government shield-funded Avengers, right? That's the Avengers we know from the MCU. So he would know what he needed in a team to take down the government-funded heroes, inverted commas, of the Thunderbolts. And that would be very funny and could lead into some good comic book stuff because in the comics, the Contessa and Nick Fury have a, a love life that they yes. want shared together <laughs> yes. that is very betrayal and spy heavy. So I wonder if we're going to get to see We have to get that. Nick I need and that. Contessa. I, I mean, think I, about I need Julia the soap opera. and Samuel L. Jackson to together. We need to we see We have it. to have that. The we have to have that. parents of it, the Avengers. Because here's the thing that if you could, here's the thing that we haven't got enough of in the MCU. It's that. It is yeah. like, it is couples that broke up that still have mess. That's mm-hmm. part of why I can't wait for the mutants and for the X-Men to come in because that's oh, the whole thing. That's the whole, you know, thing. that's the whole thing. It's love triangles. It's this I'm- one. These two are together, but also she's in love with him. And there's a whole thing. And, you know, the, these two are carrying on a long running psychic uh, 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 affair. affair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. It's like we need that in the MCU. We and so I. That. And so I'm 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 very very hopeful that Nick and the Contessa have have a history. Have they a romantic can be history. the they can be the introduction to the messy romance. Okay, this is slight. This is now slightly off topic, but related to your tangent, and it's X Men focused. So I think it's fine to talk about. How likely one of the most famous was a fan love triangle was a canon love triangle between a woman and two men, Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Wolverine. Yeah, that has now become. A canon MCU potential polyamorous queer ship situation in the Krakoa age. There is a very famous blueprint of the where they're all living and the doors between Jean's room, Cyclops's room, and Wolverine's room. They all open into each other's rooms. How likely do you think if we're talking about romantic mess? Obviously, Jean Wolverine slash Jean Cyclops. (laughs) That's going to probably happen. It has to happen. Yeah, yeah. If we get an older collection of those heroes which i i am leaning towards the idea that the the teacher the mutants who we know as the most famous x-men will likely be teacher age that's what i think they're gonna do how likely do you think we're gonna see them play into that with maybe like the adjoining rooms or like the the idea that (laughs) it's the three of them just like a little nod because the age seems like it's gonna be the influence for what they're doing the krokoa age is is wonderfully uh poly yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't know that they would do doors, but I think that they there has to be tension that is there for uh, the fans to pick up on, like yeah. little things, little comments from Logan 
mm-hmm. about about how happy Gene is, and <laughs> <laughs> that has to exist because you know it's honestly just been such a a part of the texture mm-hmm. of those characters for basically as long as they've yeah. been around. Like for as long as Wolverine has been around, he's been in love with Jean Grey, like yeah. obviously talking about it all the time. And for at least that long, he and Scott have been like butting heads about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's gotta be there in some yeah. form of fashion. I think it's gotta be. There. I think about how, how good, how well played that was in the Zero's X-Men between Famke Anson, Hugh Jackman, and James uh, Marsden, who is James so brilliant Martin. as Cyclops. I actually think one of my favorite things now I think about it, I rewatch those movies like far too much, but I do always think about how the end of Days of Future Past, I think they understood that relationship even better than some comic book creators did. Because at the end, after everything is done, Logan goes back and he opens the door of Charles's office and Gene is there and Scott is there, but he's like so he's like crying when he sees that Scott is there, not just Gene. And I was just like, okay, yeah, you guys get it. This is like the the love triangle. So yeah, I'm very excited. Hopefully Nick and the Contessa can be the introduction to the the romantic mess that we need. That's a bit more like the fun bantery mess than kind of the 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 original MCU Avengers that was very focused on heroics, less so on romance, you know. And when it did come, it was it was kind of touch and go. So it, it will be nice to see that built in in a a more extensive, fun way. That's it for us today, Rosie. Anything to plug? Yes, uh, uh, you can find me Rosie Marks on Instagram and Letterboxd. You can read my stuff at. Nerdist, Polygon, IGN. And this weekend, I will be at the Orange Public Library for their comic convention. And I'll be doing a really cool panel with a brilliant bookseller from Mysterious Galaxy, who are friends of the pod, who who are big supporters of the work that we do here. And I'll be there with a table from 11 till 4, just selling my wares, uh, talking about making (laughs) comics, all that kind of stuff. So feel free to pop on by and, and say hello. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision on September 23rd for more House of the Dragon, She-Hulk, plus a return to a galaxy far, far away with the premiere of Andor. And of course, don't forget to send your House of the Dragon questions to askthemaster at gmail.com. If you want to hear our full conversation on House of the Dragon plus the Ask the Maester segment, check out our first episode this week that is purely focused on House of the Dragon. It is right there in your podcast listening platform of choice. We want your five-star reviews. Leave us your reviews, but they got to be five stars wherever you get your podcasts. If you like X-Ray Vision, please leave us that five-star review. We love it. We need it. we got to have it. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Bye-bye.
Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.